Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace, God. I, uh, just singing that song is so sweet, God, and thank you that, Lord, you receive the broken, you accept us, God, and you change us, that, that we're not done for, but God, that you continue to reach out, that you forgive us, you pick us up, Lord, you dust us off, and we get going again, and tonight we want to get into your word, and we ask that you would speak to us as Zach prayed, and that you would have a word for us, and as we learn, God, more about your Holy Spirit, I pray that your Spirit would give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying. Lord, that you open blind eyes, God, that you open up our minds to understand your truth, God, and who you are, Lord, and how important it is to have your Spirit in our lives. So I anoint this time, I ask, God, and I ask that you would bless us and continue, God, to minister to our hearts, Lord, as as you have been in the worship. And so beautiful it is to have you here, God, to just sense your presence. And so continue on in your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A number of years ago, Debbie Phillips of Charleston, West Virginia, came home now to find things were, well, out of place. She called the police to say that someone had broken into their house, but you know what, they only laughed. Why is that? Well, Mrs. Phillips came home to find her house had been thoroughly cleaned. <laughs> someone came in, broke in, it seemed like, and cleaned the house. Uh, her husband denied cleaning it, and so did her friend, her next-door neighbor. All she knew was, other than the very clean house, was that the rugs weren't exactly in the same place. Uh, the shelves were, like, organized differently. And her bed was made. And it, it, things were different. And nothing was stolen. Well, who was this invisible cleaner? Well, month, one month later, the mystery was solved when a, a call from the cleaning lady came in. Uh, she came to the door. She knocked on the door. And it turns out the lady went to the wrong house. <laughs> Mrs. Phillips' um, neighbor across the street had hired the cleaning lady, and this neighbor had a similar address number, same house layout. Even the key to the house was hidden in the, in the same place. Crazy, huh? Well, Mrs. Phillips was not going crazy. Someone was there in her house. I was kind of wondering, I wonder if she ended up like Mrs. Phillips paying the cleaner. Yeah, I don't know, you know, what happened in that. Well, though Mrs. Phillips didn't see the cleaning lady, she did see her work, right? She saw the evidence. She saw that, no, someone was there. Something had happened. And that is the same idea with the Holy Spirit. We don't see him but we see the evidence of his works. Jesus, speaking about the Holy Spirit, said in John chapter 3, verse 8, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. While we return to our study in the book of Acts, and we find the works of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we see in our chapter, in this section we're taking tonight, the coming of the Holy Spirit. That's the title of our study tonight, and we're going to do part one. There's so much here 
in our section that I decided I'm going to break this apart and not try and fit everything in. So this is part one, the coming of the Holy Spirit, part one. And so we're going to be covering Acts chapter 2 from verse 1 through 4a, the first part of uh, uh, verse 4. So Acts chapter 2 from verse 1 through 4a. Now our outline, and this is what we're going to be seeing, our outline or even I would say it wraps into our points. Number one is the day came. Number two, the signs came. Number three, the baptism came. Now we'll go on in the uh, next week, next Wednesday night, about the tongues came. So we see the day came, the signs came, and the baptism came. This is the coming of the Holy Spirit. This is what we're seeing in chapter 2. So number one, the day came. Number one in an outline, the day came. And we're going to be covering verse 1 here in this section. So Acts chapter 2, verse 1, the coming of the Holy Spirit, number 1, the day came. Let's look at verse 1 here, Acts 2, verse 1. It reads here, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So this is the day came. This is when the day came. We begin here with Luke the writer. He's writing, When the day uh, of Pentecost arrived. That's, that's what's going on here. Pentecost had arrived now. Now, Pentecost is one of the major Jewish holidays. Uh, the Greek word Pentecost actually means 50. And so this holiday, this Jewish holiday, comes 50 days after the Passover. It, it commemorates really the, the, the first harvest. That's the idea here. Uh, they call it another way they call it in the Old Testament. The first really name of it in the Old Testament is the Feast of the Harvest. Or some call it the Feast of First Harvest. Of the first, uh, I'm sorry, the, the Feast of the uh, First Fruits. The fe Feast of the First Fruits. I can't say all these FFs. So anyway, this is Pentecost. Now understand, when the Holy Spirit came, now we're going to be seeing this in our passage in this chapter. When the Holy Spirit came upon the believers, it was when the day came, it was when God chose. So when the day came, it was what God chose. He chose this day. He sovereignly chose this day for, for when the Holy Spirit was to come. And this was on Pentecost. Pentecost. That was the day, the day of Pentecost. When the day came, it was what God chose. Now, all this happening on this day, the Holy Spirit coming on this day, it, it flows to me out of the Old Testament Jewish holidays. And, and let me explain. Passover, now that's another major holiday for the uh, Jews, right? Passover, which commemorates how that lamb was sacrificed, right? Uh, when Israel was in Egypt, so when the death angel came, would pass over the Jewish houses, right? They put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. And that's how Passover came to be. That was a last plague. And finally, uh, the Pharaoh let Israel go, and they were free from the bondage of Egypt. So Passover, commemorating that time uh, when, when the, the lamb was sacrificed. Well, 
it connects. It, it, it really looked to Christ, right? Our Passover, who died on a cross for our sins. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, this is Christ, our Passover. And he died on the cross during the Passover. And I believe it was, about, it was April 32 A.D. Um, um, there's some dates, but I kind of always in my mind what I studied and calculated. But it was during the Passover when Christ was the Passover lamb and died on the cross. So that's interesting. Christ died during that Passover. He was the Passover lamb. And that was another one of uh, the major Jewish holidays. Now, there's another holiday at the, right at the end of and when Passover Sabbath is done. The next day is called the First Feast. It's a celebration of the first fruits to come. Sometimes it's called the Feast of First Fruits. I know that's kind of confusing with what I said, but just think about the first feast. It looks forward to the harvest to come. It's, it's when they're planting, when they're, when they're starting to put in the seeds and everything, and they look forward to that harvest to come. So that's celebrated right after the Passover uh, Sabbath, which is really, we know, Sunday. Now, guess what? Uh, that Sunday, right after the Passover Sabbath, what happened with Jesus? He rose again from the dead. And so that correlates really that Jesus Christ is the fruit, first fruits, right? First Corinthians 15, 20, Paul talked about that Jesus is our first fruits. He, he's the first one to rise from the dead and we're following after him when we die. We're going to rise again and go to heaven. And so interesting how that follows Christ there. Passover, he's the Passover lamb when he died. And then the first feast, that Sunday, uh, 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 really uh, the feast of first fruits there, it, it is the first fruits in, well, who Christ rose again. He is the first fruits. So he is the first to resurrect. So then we have Passover, right? And then we have first feast. And then 50 days later after Pentecost. Yeah, I mean, 50 days later is Pentecost. Um, 50 days after that uh, first feast is Pentecost. Or again, I know it's kind of confusing, but the feast of first fruit. So, so that's where they actually celebrate this harvest that has come in. They bake bread and celebrate the wheat harvest. Um, they, they're thanking God. It's kind of like a, a, a memorial day or kind of a, a Thanksgiving, I should say. You know, It's kind of thanking the Lord for blessing the harvest and they could bake bread and they, and they celebrate. The, and that is Pentecost 50 days after the first feast. Well, think about this now. Yeah, from the Feast of the Harvest, um, uh, I mean, with this Feast of the Harvest or Pentecost, this is the day that God sends the Holy Spirit. Isn't that great to understand? It was on this day, really, what, what we see in chapter 2 is the birth of the church. It's, it's, it's the, the fruit of saved people. It's the body of Christ coming together. It's the beginning of the church age. It's the feast of this harvest now coming in. The harvest of souls 
after Jesus died, rose again from the dead. And now this is where the Holy Spirit comes. This is where the church is born. This is the church age. This is the fruit of everything Jesus Christ had done, his work on the cross. I think this is super interesting. With Passover, the first feast, and now Pentecost, the feast of the harvest, it all correlates with these Jewish feasts, uh, celebrations from the Old Testament, and God sovereignly ordained it. So when the day came, this the day came, it was what God sovereignly chose. All right, it goes on here in verse 1. After when the day of Pentecost arrived, it says, they were all together in one place. The apostles, all the followers of Jesus, they're all together in this one place. And as we've studied in chapter 1, where were they? They're in the upper room. They're in that that house that place in the second level in the upper room most likely remember we talked about in chapter one it could have it's probably where uh, on the last night of jesus's life that they had the last supper the, the passover meal it was and and he changed the passover meal to communion it was, it was it was most likely that place and it was in that upper room and this was in jerusalem that we saw right back in acts chapter one verse 13 and 14 that they were praying together, right? And and we saw that groundwork to God's work in that message, that they were praying and seeking the Lord. And, and, and we saw back in chapter 1 that there was 120 followers of Jesus gathered there, including the 11 apostles, 12 now with Matthias. We, we learned that last time. And so there they are, yeah gathered together in one place in the upper room, and they were there. Why? Remember, Jesus told them to wait for the promise of the Father to come, Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Right? Jesus told them, wait in Jerusalem. And so they were to wait and be in prayer, as we saw. Now, the thing is, Jesus never said when exactly the promise of the Father the coming of the Holy Spirit would come. He never told them, well, it's going to be on Pentecost. They didn't know. They were just told to wait and to pray. Now, 50 days, right? Pentecost means 50 days. 50 days from, from that, that Sunday, right? 50 days to Pentecost. We Think about that. There's 50 days. We learn right back in, in, in Luke, and I explain even chapter 1, that Jesus taught the disciples for how many days? 40 days. Remember that? So 50 days was total, Pentecost from, say, Jesus' resurrection, Passover, right? And then 40 days, he appeared to them, taught them. For 40 days, he trained them, taught them, appeared to them. And yeah. So how many days were left? 10 days. So from his resurrection to his ascension was 40 days. Ten days left, that's the 50 days. Well, they were praying and waiting for 10 days. Now, they didn't know it was going to be 10 days, but they just kept going. So they waited in prayer for 10 days, not knowing when the Spirit would actually come. But you know what I love? They obediently waited. They obediently prayed and took that time so 
When the day came, the followers were still faithfully waiting in prayer. I like, I, I see that. They were all together in that one place. And what were they doing? They were doing what we saw in the last chapter. They were doing what we saw in verse 13, 14 in chapter 1. They are obeying Jesus and what he said in verse 4 of chapter 1. When the day came, the followers, the apostles, yeah, the 120 of them, the followers were still faithfully waiting in prayer. I love that thought. They're still there. Remember, they didn't know when the Spirit would come. They weren't like, oh, well, we have one more day, you know. They didn't know. But when the day came, God found them there waiting in prayer. Back in our, our recent study in the book of Luke, um, uh, back in chapter 18, I think it was, Jesus taught on persevering prayer. You remember that? Uh, he told this parable of a widow who kept, who kept going to this judge to give her justice against someone he refused but the woman persisted right going to him he kept going and finally he gave in and then jesus said look if this unrighteous like this unsaved resistant judge didn't really care about her gives in to her persevering request remember he said how much more will god who loves you cares for you who does answer prayer how much more will god Hear the cries of his own people. Remember that parable? And Jesus said, really at the beginning in Luke 81, he said, So you always ought to pray and not lose heart. That that was a whole lesson in that parable, to keep persevering, to keep going, and until you see that, that prayer answered. But then Jesus said this, and I thought, this always gets my heart. Jesus ends the parable in verse 8 of chapter 18 in Luke. He says this, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now that's powerful for us, right? To think right now how, as we're waiting for the second coming of Christ, for him to return, when the Son of Man comes, and that's what he's talking about, will he find faith on earth? He attaches it to the parable, meaning, will he find people with faith toward God to keep praying, to be persistent in prayer? That they believe in God and have that faith, and they will faithfully be waiting in prayer and continuing to pray. As we wait for Christ's return today, are we still faithfully waiting? We don't know when he's going to come. We don't know. Just like these guys, they did not know when the Holy Spirit was going to come. Jesus promised, hey, wait in Jerusalem. You know, the promise of the Father is going to come. The Spirit's going to come upon you, verse 8, chapter 1, right? They didn't know that it was only going to be 10 days, that God would choose Pentecost and it all line up, you know, to all the Jewish feasts and celebrations and all. We don't know when Christ is coming. Like them, they don't know when the Holy Spirit is gonna what's gonna come well today i think god's calling us to do the same to wait in prayer to be in prayer to be faithful will he find faith on this earth when he comes will he find us faithfully waiting in prayer and believing in him or are we gonna give up are we gonna say ah that doesn't work or are we gonna get tired or are we gonna get into the world so much that we don't 
praying. I was thinking about this. What if, what if, when the Holy Spirit came, there was only 119 people in that upper room? What if there's only one? Because one guy, one person bailed. Ah, I've been waiting nine days already. Forget this. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Yeah, they lost faith. They didn't believe what Jesus said. They didn't obey, and there's only 119, and that one person bailed. He's going to miss out, right? That person would have missed out if that happened. When God says wait, we gotta wait. When God says pray, we gotta pray. We gotta be obedient. If that one that one person would have bailed, he would have missed out of the coming of the Holy Spirit. So the day came, number one. The day came. Next, number two, the signs came. The signs came. And here we're gonna look at verse two and three. Verse two and three. The signs came. Take a look here, Acts chapter 2, verse 2. It says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. We'll stop there. Now Luke continues here to give this account of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he says, Now, now, now think about it. As the 120 were waiting there in prayer, they're sitting there suddenly. In other words, unexpectedly, like no one knew the Spirit would come this way. All of a sudden here came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Now it says a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And that means it's not some weather phenomenon. You know, in other words, there wasn't actually this big blowing of wind, though. Sometimes, you know, when a big wind blows through church here, or, or so many times I had an outreach, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere comes this wind blowing. I could feel it. I was like, oh, Lord, your Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit. But, but this was a, the, just the sound. It wasn't a weather phenomenon. I mean, they're inside the upper room. They're inside these four walls. And their hair wasn't getting all messed up. In other words, you know, the hair wasn't getting in their eyes or anything like that. No, it wasn't that. Because notice it says here in verse 2, and suddenly there came from where? Heaven. From heaven. This really says it comes from God. It really says that this is a supernatural event that's going on. Not a physical event. It, it's supernatural. And it says that it came rushing this rushing wind came in and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. I mean, it wasn't just the upper room. It, 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 it like, this sound like filled the whole house, downstairs, upstairs, all over. A great sound of rushing wind was everywhere filling this house. The signs came first as a sound of rushing wind. When? That was the first sign. The signs came first as a sound of rushing wind. God came supernaturally. And he came with this sound of a wind. And it was, it was a sign of the Holy Spirit's presence. Now, I understand both in the Hebrew and the Greek, 
The word for spirit is also the word for wind. Uh, the Greek is pneuma. And it's also a word for uh, breath, too. Perhaps, as one commentator said, the breath of God filled the house. I like that thought, yeah. I like that thought that it was the presence of God. It was God, the Holy Spirit, coming into the whole house, not just the upper room, but, but below, too. And I, I just had to stop when I was studying and think about, I wonder what that felt like. You had to feel that, right? I mean, you heard it, but, but you must have felt not the wind, but this presence of God. The sound, Luke writes here, was like a mighty wind. It was, it was like the rushing wind all around us. And I, I was trying to imagine that. I, I mean, maybe it was like, you know, I remember when we had our 5.1 surround sound with the subwoofer and the back speakers. It must have been like, in the rumble of the subwoofer, you know, I don't know, maybe it's shaking the house, but sometimes they shaked our house, you know, when I cranked up our surround sound. Maybe, maybe it was like that, but it was the sound of this rushing wind. It was, it was the presence of God, I believe. Now, in the Jewish mind, I think they would have thought of how when the wind came and breathed life into the dry bones in that valley, you remember that in Ezekiel 37? Remember when God gave Ezekiel the sight of these dry bones all over there, and then, then, then he prophesied, and God had him prophesied. They came together, and all the muscles and everything came, and the flesh and the skin covered them. And then in Ezekiel 37, 9, uh, God went out and called the, the, the four winds like, to come and breathe on these, these bones with the skin, everything. And what happened? They came to life. And with that rushing wind, it was, it was a sign of, of the Spirit, right? Of them coming alive and the Spirit in them. In Ezekiel 37, 14, the Lord says, And I will put my Spirit within you, and you shall live. So I feel like that's, the, that's a picture of the spirit, just like in Ezekiel 37 with this, with this rushing wind coming in, with the presence of God coming in to this place. So then there's another sign. Verse 3, And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So here's, here's the, the second sign. There was these Tongues as of, of fire now. Divided tongues as of fire. Now, now, I don't know. Tongues to me, I think of my tongue in my, in my mouth. But, but it's like, like, like a flame. It's really talking about a flame. But this flame of fire is not like some literal fire. Again, with the wind. I was thinking, yeah, it's not burning their hair. Yeah, you know, you don't smell... I hate that smell of burnt hair, right? That's not what's going on. It, 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 it's this flame on, on top of them. Maybe it's, it was on their head. Maybe it was over them. I'm not sure exactly. But notice how it says here in verse 3, And divided tongues or flames of fire appeared on them, and it came and rested on each one of them. Divided seems to speak to me that perhaps 
one flame, one fire came, yeah, and then it broke apart into small tongues or small flames, and that's what came and rested and divided onto each person there. 120 flames of fire resting on them. And so this form of fire was seen on each one of the 120 people that were in that room. On the apostles, on the women that we talked about in chapter 1, on all the other followers that were there. And um, this is my guess, like Nicodemus was there, um, um, Joseph of Arimathea, you know, all these real, you know, dedicated followers and the women who followed there too. So, the signs came secondly as a flame of fire. A flame of fire. That was a sign. Now, why the flame of fire? Well, let's think about the Old Testament again. In the Old Testament, the, we, saw, we see fire, which many times represented the Lord's presence. It represented the Lord's presence. Think about the burning bush. When Moses, right, saw fire that was not consuming that plant, right, in Exodus chapter 3. And a voice came out. It was the Lord. This is holy ground. Take off your slippers, right? That, that was a, a fire. That was representing the presence of God right there before Moses. Or how about when Mount Sinai was covered in smoke? Exodus nineteen eighteen says, why? The Lord had descended on Mount Sinai on it in fire. So this fire, this big fire, came, in, came down on top of that mountain and it represented the presence of God on Mount Sinai. So to me, the fire that appeared in the room split up into the tongues of fire, it symbolized God, the Holy Spirit, now entering in and about to enter, and we'll see in the next verse, and enter into each believer. Now understand, I mentioned this in, in the last chapter two, one of our studies, but this moment that we're reading about right now, this event is, is, is a moment in history. It's a turning point of how God works and, and deals with his people now. Christians or believers after the cross. Like the burning bush. Um, well, let me say this back up. This is a, a major event. So, so some, this, I guess, unique way of God marking this event is happening here. With the rushing wind. With the flames of fire. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a moment in the history of God working with redeemed people. So it's major. Think about it. It's like the burning bush. That's when God called Moses to lead the Jewish people out of Egypt. That was a major thing because God was making a nation. And he was going to lead them out. They, they went in as a family, maybe, um, you know, 70 maybe. You know, at the time, there's guessing when they went in with Joseph and the family and Jacob and the dad and everybody and all the brothers. But when they came out, it was millions, right? It could have been a million or more. So they were coming out as a nation. So God had to call a leader. And so 
the burning bush. It was a, it was a huge, uh, it was a marking of a huge event. And then Mount Sinai, when that fire came down on the mountain, that, what happened then? God gave the law, right? The Ten Commandments for this nation to follow. So they were major events in how God was working with his people. Well, now here, these signs mark the beginning of when the presence of God will enter into each believer. That's what's going on. That's what we're going to see. In the Old Testament, remember, only certain people, like some priests, prophets, kings, would have the Holy Spirit on them. But now, after the cross, after Jesus died on the cross, and when we receive it, we can be purified by his blood, positionally cleansed. Now the Spirit of God can enter into each believer. The presence of God inside of us. That's amazing, right? We're the temple of the Spirit, Paul says. Well, this is what's happening here. This, this is a, a whole uh, new thing God is doing with our, where the Spirit can come in at, now after the cross and live inside of us. So the signs came to mark that God now dwells in believers. The signs came to mark that God now dwells in believers. This was the moment. This was a time. This was the marking this event now. John, remember John the Baptist said in Luke chapter 3, verse 16, in the second part, he said, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Yeah. I'm thinking, wow, this fire is talking about the presence of God. This is important to understand that God, the Holy Spirit, fills those who are in Jesus. Now, I've taught this before, but at the time of salvation, when, when we come to Jesus Christ, when we pray and give our heart to him and, and we're forgiven and he comes into our life, you know what happens? The Holy Spirit comes into us. Remember, we back, you can catch this if, if you missed it back in... Um, uh, Acts chapter 1, around verse 8, we, I talked about the para and epi, yeah? Um, uh, he comes alongside. He's with you, the Holy Spirit. And then he comes in you, and, and then he comes upon you, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Well, the end, that's what I talked about, is when the Holy Spirit comes in you and enters you. He's the agent that makes us into a new creation. And, and that's how we're the temple of the Spirit. And then the, the upon happens, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and what we're going to be seeing in this chapter. And then he empowers you. And that's, that's the Holy Spirit. So, so the signs came to mark that God is working these things in. God now dwells in believers. I was thinking about how one time I saw a picture posted by... Um, I won't say his name, but a real famous prophecy guy. Um, he's been around for a long time. And he had posted or, uh, this picture of a group of people on tour in Jerusalem, and they were in the upper room. And like when we went to Israel, we went there and we did communion and talked about that, that night when Jesus was there and talked a little bit about this too in Acts. But um, yeah, it was, it was a picture of a group of people there and in the picture, uh, 
he was kind of saying, oh, I think the Holy Spirit came and it was so, you know, heavy and moving. And in the picture, there was like on, on top of people's heads, it's like this bright kind of light. And it was like, oh, see, it's, it's the tongue of flames on the head of people. And I was kind of looking at the picture going, hmm, I'm not too sure. I think it's a lens flare or something from a light, you know, behind it on a Photoshop maybe. No, no, but I, I don't want, it, it made it, you know, a little bit too mystical. And I was like, yeah, I don't think so. And I don't think so because, you know, what happened here with the rushing wind, the tongues of fire, it, it's a unique event. It was to, to mark that from here on, from this moment, God is going to dwell, believers. It was like the burning bush. We don't see that, you know, anymore. It was like Mount Sinai with, with God, the fire on top of it. We don't see that. That was marking these events in, in the history of, of how God working with people. Well, this is what we see here, too. I believe that it is a one-time event to mark this new period as God now really launches the church where the Holy Spirit is in us now. And as we got together, this is the church of God with the Holy Spirit living within us. So with this in mind, with these signs and why God did this, let's not take for granted the privilege we have, you guys, today. It wasn't like this in the Old Testament time. It wasn't like this up until this point. Let's not take for granted, but be mindful for this privilege that we have today, that we can live today on this side of the cross now and have God, the Holy Spirit, right inside of us. Let's not take that for granted. I don't want to. I want to make sure, wow, Lord, you made this. You planned this. You created this. I'm part of, we are all part of the fruit of Christ's death and resurrection. We are a part of the church. We are all part of how God made it that the Holy Spirit will come live inside us. And everything that, of what that means. Yeah. Think about that. We are very privileged. David didn't have this. I mean, well, maybe he was anointed, but, you know, but not everyone, you know, in Israel had this. This is the coming of the Holy Spirit that we have to be mindful of today. So number one, the day came. Number two, the signs came. And number three, the baptism came. The baptism came. Now we come to verse four. And tonight we're just going to take the first part. It says here in verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's, all, that's as far we'll get tonight. Next time we're going to be talking about when the tongues came. But for tonight, here's what we understand. When that mighty rushing wind came, when the tongues of fire came, then the 120 persons in that upper room were filled with the Holy Spirit. Look over to, to chapter 1, Acts chapter 1 and verse 5. Notice how the Jesus is, is, is speaking here. 
He, remember in verse 4, he told them, don't depart, wait in Jerusalem. And then in verse 5, for John baptized with water, but you will be what? Baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Ten days later is when the Holy Spirit came. And then look at verse 8 of Acts chapter 1. Verse 8. Jesus explains, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Yeah. Epi, upon you. And you will be by you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And we're going to be seeing that when Peter in chapter two preaches the gospel and three thousand people get saved. And Peter's going to turn into a different man because of the Holy Spirit. But what I want you to see is is how Jesus said, you will be baptized when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, right? And then look again in Acts chapter 2, we go back to verse 4, and they were filled, the word is filled, with the Holy Spirit. So the 120 were baptized with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came, right, uh, upon them, Epi, yeah? they were filled. So the baptism came when the Holy Spirit filled the believers. The baptism came when the Holy Spirit filled the believers. Now understand again, this never has happened before this moment. Individual believers filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And we know through scripture that they are believers are united together as one by the Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit puts us into one body as the church of God. All this happened when, when they're filled. And this is the moment that what we have today, this is when it started, what we enjoy today. And this is the moment that they were empowered, as we're going to see later uh, with the speaking of tongues, with Peter standing up, preaching, and all the thousands of people being saved. Now, as we read this, it seems like a simple thing. Okay, we're baptized. We're, we're, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you, and we're going to take a moment and talk about this. There's a lot of different views on this. Now, I'm... On one end of the spectrum, you could say, is what the charismatics say. They say, well, when you come, after you come to Jesus, after salvation, there actually is a baptism of the Holy Spirit, a quote-unquote second touch that happens where you get filled, where the Spirit comes upon you, Acts 1-8, where, where you get filled with the power of the Spirit. You're baptized, I should say, they use that word, with the power of the Spirit, and then that's when you start speaking in, in tongues. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, you have the super conservatives that say, well, uh, when you come to Jesus, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, and you just need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And many of these super conservatives, they hold to the belief that the gifts of the Spirit are not for today. It's only for uh, the apostles back then to validate 
uh, what God was doing in them. And then uh, now that we have the complete word of God, uh, we don't need the gifts. So there's two extremes here. Now, later we'll, we'll, we'll talk about you know, speaking in tongues and, and is the gifts for today. We're, we're going to be talking about that next week. But both sides will cite references in the book of Acts to really support their, their views. So you understand that the, the word baptism of the, you know, baptism of the Holy Spirit, that word to be baptized or the baptism of the Spirit, it can bring up some strong feelings depending on where you draw your lines. Now, let me talk about this for a moment. And, and, and you know, there's a lot of, there's views like that. There's, there's those extremes. And, and I, I say, well, study your word and you can come to your conclusion. But, but let's talk about this for a moment. It's true that um, we are baptized. I mean, that word means immersed, right? Uh, we're baptized into the life of Jesus at conversion. And we're baptized into the body of Christ through the Spirit. Romans 6.3 says you've been baptized into Christ Jesus. And talking about that we died with Christ, Paul talks about that. That we've risen with Christ, that we identify with Christ. We're immersed into the life of Jesus as we die to our sins in the bondage of our sin. And we rise up into a new life as a new creation. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Paul even talks about, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. So the spirit is what unites us. Yeah, We're immersed in the spirit. The spirit is in us, and it unites us as one body of Christ, the church. So the baptism, the spirit, um, is, you can say, at salvation, is that's when we're regenerated, given new life, put into the body. And, and it's true. We see scripture talking about that. And then in Ephesians 6, Paul talks about being filled. So many believe that there's one baptism and many fillings. That's the idea. Now, in the other extreme, yes, it looks like if you what we're reading here today. It looks like, well, the apostles were already followers of Jesus. Jesus was teaching, and so they were saved. And then later in chapter 2, they were baptized with the Spirit. So that's where in the other extreme, the thought is, well, see, the Holy Spirit comes later. There's a second touch. There's a second time where there's an empowering. And... There's other instances in, in Acts where that seems to support that. But what I see is in the other instances, say in Acts chapter 8, verse 14, like the people in Samaria who, it is said, they had received the word, but they had not received the Holy Spirit, and they were prayed for, and then they received the Spirit. It, it, oh yeah, it seems like, see, there's a second touch. But I believe, and we have to understand, and as we go through the book of Acts, I'll be talking about this, but this is a transitional time. In other words, I think what hap is happening here in Acts 2 is that, well, yeah, the apostles saved, but it's a transitional time. It's a time when uh, now God is marking this time of 
There's a change coming. And so he does it in a big way. In Acts 8, with the people of Samaria, I, I feel like God wanted to prove to the Jewish believers, like the apostles, right, that you know what? The Samaritans can be saved too. That just like you guys were baptized in the Spirit, they can too. Remember, that's what Peter told the elders, right, when they were wondering, can Gentiles really be saved? And Peter's testifying, no, look, I went and witnessed to them. I shared Jesus, and the Holy Spirit came upon them just like us. And it was proving that, yeah, it can happen to Gentiles too. So I think some of that that appears to be like this second touch kind of thing is, it, I, I think it's just... Um, in the book of Acts, it's, it's this transitional time and God is really supporting uh, salvation. It's not just for the Jews, yeah, but it's for the Gentiles and even the Samaritans too. That Remember the Jews were at odds against the Samaritans. So people draw the line in different places. Some, there are those who draw the line and say baptism is only at salvation. And there are those who draw the line and say, no, baptism is after salvation. Maybe that's a, good, a simple way to look at it. You're probably wondering, well, what about you, Pastor Rick? What about you? What do you think? I'm just confused. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I mean, through all the years and all the books I've read and all the discussions I ha- I've had with friends and other pastors and, and different things, you, you, know what, you know what I, I hold to? I hold to this, and and I'm coming back to our passage here. The baptism came um, when the Holy Spirit filled the believers. And and, and in other words, they they came um, uh, when they were submitted. Now, let me back up for a moment here. I, I feel like there's this baptism, and we read that the Holy Spirit filled the believers. So for me, I look at Acts 1-5, oh, they were to be baptized yeah, with the Holy Spirit. And Acts 2-3 says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. I, I, I feel like, for me, you can use these words interchangeably. Now, granted, yes, there's a baptism of the Spirit that comes and lives in us, the N, right, in that Greek word, we talked about when he regenerates us, when may, um, he comes and lives in us, uh, he's our, our guarantee, he's our seal, all those things. Granted, that happens at salvation and call it baptism. But I think what I see here that you can use it interchangeably. That the baptism isn't just that, but the baptism when they're empowered. And they're filled here, we're reading here. Many times you'll see Peter filled in the book of Acts. That word is used. And so this is a discussion that has gone on through all the ages. And and not all my pastor friends may agree with what I'm saying. And you can study it too. But I don't want to draw such a hard line. I, I feel like the Spirit will blow this way and that. We don't know where it's going, where it's going, you know where it's come from, where it's going. I, I think I'm just going to trust God that it's baptism filled, however you want to call it, you know, 
I think it's down, for me, it's semantics. Now, not everyone agrees. But, but let me give you one more thing. I think it comes down, really, baptism or being filled, to the surrender of the control of your life to God. So, like what I see here is the baptism came when they were fully submitted. And I want you to see this. The baptism came when they were fully submitted. Right? They, they waited. They didn't know when. But they submitted and surrendered their will. They didn't say, well, I want God. I'm only going to give you nine days. No, whatever you want, Lord. We're going to do it. We're going to do it until you answer, until you come. They submitted. Yeah, and obeyed the Lord in that way. And they gave control to God. And, well, we're just going to wait on God. However long that takes, Lord, it's up to you. So I see the baptism came when they were fully submitted. And 10 days is a long time to be waiting and praying, right? And I want you to see this too. Turn over to the right to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Now this is the really the foundational verse to about being filled with the Spirit, but Ephesians 5, verse 18. Ephesians 5, verse 18. And we see here that the Apostle Paul, he says, 5.18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul's writing here, and he's saying, look, don't, don't get drunk with wine. You know, don't be under the influence. Don't be... You know, you drink too much, uh, you know, it's, it's the alcoholic that controls you. It's debauchery. It just heads you into this uh, debauched life, yeah, this bad life. But this is what you want to do. You want to be filled with the Spirit. Now, the Greek word be filled really is, is a, talking about a continuing filling. It's talking about uh, continue, be being filled by the Spirit. Continue to be filled, not just in a past tense, but it's something to, to like the many fillings. We need to continue to be fi- filled. But the idea behind be filled is submission. It infers giving up control, right? I mean, you give a control to the wine or the alcohol. No, in contrast, no, Paul's saying don't do that. Give control to the Holy Spirit. We don't want to give control to our flesh, right? We don't want to give control to our fear or anger, emotions, but the Holy Spirit. And that's what what Paul's saying. That's what it means by being filled. Or, for me also, to be baptized, to be immersed, to have that overflow, the Spirit to come upon you. To be empowered by the Spirit is to be placing yourself under the control of the Spirit, letting Him power you. Not your own power. Years ago, I was having a discussion on this with a friend who, who shared with me. I mean, he got saved Calvary Chapel, and he was sharing after he was saved. He was prompted to go forward. After this was maybe months or a year after you're saved, uh, he was prompted to go forward to be baptized by the Spirit. The pastor was making a call. So he went up. He was prayed for by the pastor. And he said, my life changed after that. It, it was never the same. And so we're having discussions. He goes, well, what do you think? Was that that second touch? Is that what, what's going on? And, um, you know, for me, it, it's just I put out there. Perhaps 
that was really when he released total control over to the Holy Spirit. So for me, it, 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 I think maybe there's, there's that point, you know, where we really surrender, yeah, to, to the Holy Spirit, where we really give that control. And maybe for some, it's after the, they say the prayer a little later, and maybe this is when they fully give control. I mean, it's not that the Holy Spirit's not there, but when they fully give control, it's like, wow, that, that baptism, that empowering that they're really filled with the Spirit. It could be that. Or maybe someone wandered away from God and they, maybe they prayed the prayer and they're not walking with the Spirit, but they come to a place and they hear a message and they, in faith, go and get prayed for and then all of a sudden, boom, from then on, their life's not the same. Could be. Some thoughts for you. But that that's kind of how... A, kind of managing this and seeing this. D.L. Moody heard a British evangelist, Henry Farley, say something that changed his life. And it actually brought this filling of the Spirit, this, this baptism of the Spirit that he sought after. Henry Farley said this, the world, Barley said this, the world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. And D.L. Moody wrote, I want to be that man. And he was. He became a powerful evangelist. Well, as we close, whatever you call it, baptism or, or filling, you know what? It's something we all want, right? We want that power. However you want to approach this, wherever you draw the line. I remember reading a, a book by J.R. Packer, who's real conservative. And he kind of went through these things. At the end of the book, he says, you know what, everyone call it? Go find it. Get it. Pastor Chuck even at the end was like a, a little pamphlet. He had said, whatever you want to call it, you know, we want it. I want it. I want that filling of the Spirit. What we're reading today in the book of Acts is what is available for us today. Let's seek it. Let's have it. Let's, let's have the fullness of God, Paul talks about in Ephesians 2, I believe, or 3, that we would have the fullness of God in our lives. This is what God has done Way back in Acts chapter 2. This is what we can enjoy today. It's part of what God is doing now. It's part of how he works in our lives now. And, and what happened way back in Acts chapter 2? We can have that today. I'll close with this. In 1979, I think it was June, I, thought, I think the date, I forgot, um, the exact date, but the month was June in 1979. Sony Corporation, Sony unveiled their newest product. And some of you are old enough to remember that. They introduced or put out their, the Walkman. You remember the Walkman? Yeah. I mean, that, that was the first time. A little player, yeah? You could put your cassette tape. It's a small, portable cassette player. They did this big press conference in a park in Tokyo 
Yoyogi Park, where staff from the Sony company would demonstrate. They show them demonstrating. They're listening to music with headphones while riding a bike, you know, while running or walking, right? The Walkman. The co-founder of Sony, Akio Morita, said, this is the product that will satisfy those young people who want to listen to music all day. They'll take it everywhere, he said. They'll take it everywhere with them. And you know what? Think about that. It changed the world, didn't it? It changed the world. I mean, think about today we've seen the Walkman turn into our digital MP3 players, our iPods when that came out. And now we have our phones. We can listen to music on our phones. Take it with us every day. Listen all day, right? Take it everywhere. Well, we have the Holy Spirit now. All day. And we can take the Holy Spirit everywhere. And with the Holy Spirit, we can go change the world. What happened that day? The signs, the baptism. It began with what we have today in Jesus Christ. The presence of God in our life. So let's not grieve the Holy Spirit. Let's not neglect the Holy Spirit. Let's walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. And let us fully and totally submit to the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit fill our hearts. And let's partake in what we see here, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we um, close up here and as we come to sing one last worship song, God, let us take the things that we learned today and sort through it in our minds. Let us, God, let it sink in our hearts and our mind to understand that we have the Spirit today. That when these believers, the 120 in the room, were filled, when they were baptized, God, with the Holy Spirit, when 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 they were empowered, God, when your presence came into them for the first time when this monumental event happened, Lord, that it changed history. It, 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 how you work in redeemed people. Lord, we can partake of that today. And I pray, God, that as we sing, that we would cry out to you, that we would be filled, that we would be baptized, Lord, that we would have your spirit, that we would have an overflow, God, of your spirit, that your spirit would come upon us, would fall upon us. Lord, forgive us for our sins and for our our neglect and even grieving the spirit, Lord. But we desire the fullness of God inside of us. So, Lord, here we are, God. We want to be submitted to you and give control over to you, Jesus. To you, Holy Spirit. So come. Come now, Lord. Fill this place. Fill our hearts. Fill our souls. Fill our lives, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen.